Today on the show, we answer your distrance, and we're spitting in bats' mouths. I'm going to need a lot of water for this recording. <laughs> Drink up, friend. <laughs> Stay hydrated, y'all. <laughs> Welcome to Gam Jabbar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name's Abu. My name's Leo. And Leo, we got a special one today. Yeah, we do. <laughs> this podcast going off the rails, doing something I don't think that we've actually done before. Not fully. An entire episode dedicated to mailbag. Yeah. I mean, we've gotten a lot of messages. We keep asking for them, and y'all deliver. Yeah. It's fantastic. <laughs> and there were so many good questions. Yeah. That we decided to, you know, take this day and work through them in a dedicated mailbag episode. I'll also say there were a couple of things we've gotten wrong, which I fully anticipated, and it was wonderful to have people call us out. We'll touch back on that throughout the episode. But today's a good day. Good day to set the record straight. For sure. For sure. Now, some quick housekeeping before we jump into those messages. Yeah. Let's talk spoilers because it's a little different today. Right. There is one listener question later in the episode where we have to talk about some stuff from God Emperor of Dune. Mm -hmm. We will warn you and give you plenty of time to skip ahead a couple of minutes before we get into that discussion. Right. But the rest of the episode has just a blanket spoiler warning through Dune Messiah. So as long as you've read books one and two, you're safe to listen to this episode and just make sure to skip past that one listener question. Right. And if memory serves, it's not even really plot stuff, but just to be safe, we'll tell you and you can skip forward and dodge that little lore bullet, so to speak. Exactly. The best way to support us, as always, is to become a patron over at patreon.com forward slash gomjabar. Enjoy ad-free episodes, early access to book clubs and other types of episodes, extra bloopers and clips, and of course, access to our exclusive Discord server. Say hey. Yeah. Say hi. <laughs> you can talk to us every single day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can't promise we'll respond. We're busy folks, but right. you can say stuff. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, a special shout out, as always, to our Kwisatz Haderach level patrons, Case Aiken and Nate Hyde. Oof. Boys, yeah. your generosity knows no bounds. We actually have a question from Case today, too, that we're going to get into. Amazing. Thank you to those two, as always. But of course, that thank you extends to all of our patrons who help make this show possible. Indeed. Another way you can support the show is by checking out gamjabarshop.com. We have some Dune-themed merch you can wear during your first read-through or your 19th. Works for either of them. So <laughs> shirts work. Looks good either way. <laughs> yeah. And of course, if you yourself have a question or a topic idea for future episodes, or you just want to say hello, gamjabarpodcast at gmail.com is the place to get in touch with us. And who knows? Your question might come up in a future mailbag episode. We would love to continue doing more mailbag episodes like this one. Right. So keep writing in. Or corrections. Yeah, that too. <laughs> if you've heard something <laughs> that you know to be wrong, let us know. We are not above going back on the record and, and changing what we said. Of course. Yeah. Definitely. Well, with all of the housekeeping out of the way, we're going to take a quick, quick, quick break, but don't go anywhere. When we're back, we're going to be jumping into your emails and your messages. Holy smokes. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, folks. 
I hope you had time to draft up an email and hit send because we're going to get into these messages. So let's start off first with a Discord message from Case Aiken. Yep. One of our Kwisatz Haderach members. Case had a fantastic question that we definitely wanted to spend more than a couple of minutes on. Right. He wrote, quote, Dune is massively influential on science fiction in general. What is your favorite work that has been influenced by Dune? What's the most niche one that you can think of? End quote. Fantastic question, Case. You know, a ton of science fiction can be tied back to Dune. Dune was hugely influential for so many things. Yeah. The first one I think that comes to mind for a lot of people is Star Wars, right? Yep. And with the waves that then Star Wars made on pop culture and the number of influences that Star Wars has, it's really not a stretch to trickle some of that credit back to Dune uh, and, and Frank and his universe. But Abu, I'm interested to hear your answer. So as far as my favorite goes, I got to go with the pumpkin spice latte of answers here. <laughs> yeah. Star Wars. Yeah. I've not been shy on this podcast about how much I love Star Wars. Yeah. And I've been a fan ever since I was a little kid. And actually, fun fact, even before I knew what Dune was. Right. I read Dune for the first time in my teens. I've been a Star Wars fan since probably I was like six, seven, eight years old. Right. So Star Wars is obviously high on the list of things that are directly inspired by Dune. But it also happens to be one of my favorite universes and favorite properties. And all of those great Disney Plus shows we were getting these days are right up my alley. I'm having a blast. I was going to say, same. <laughs> Star Wars <laughs> is really hard to not enjoy. If you like Dune, you probably also like Star Wars to some degree. In particular, though, I'm going to get specific. My favorite Star Wars thing is Mandalorian. Yeah. I think Mandalorian is just top-tier entertainment all around. Yeah. Fantastic stuff. And appropriate that Pedro Pascal, a.k.a. Mando, huge fan of Oscar Isaac himself. If you haven't seen videos of Pedro Pascal and uh, Oscar Isaac yeah. <laughs> teasing each other, it's the best. It's absolutely the best. Mandalorian, in particular, is my favorite tip of the hat to Frank's universe. You know, there's that crate Dragon episode. Hmm, yep. And then, of course, there's like the spice drug runners and everything. Yeah, anyway. Right, the literal spice trade yeah, in yeah. the desert planet. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Moisture farms. Easy, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, in regards to the other part of Case's question about the niche references that we can think of, we actually outsourced this question by doing a bit of research and came across this really great piece in The Nerdist by Lindsay Romaine where she compiled this mind-boggling list of references to Dune in other pop culture. Right. So we wanted to like quickly touch on some of the things from her list that we are either fans of or have watched ourselves as well. Yeah. And you might already know some of these, but I can almost guarantee one or two of these has flown under your radar. For sure. Very fun. Very fun to see this list. So we already covered Star Wars. Right. Spice mining, space worms, desert planet. Right. We can check that one off the list. Another property that pretty directly takes from Dune is the Warhammer 40k universe. Yeah. I've played some of the RTS games in that universe, but I don't know a whole lot about it. Right. But it certainly seems to follow a lot of the imperial political structure by Dune, this like future feudalism idea. Right. And the concept of human computers also exist in the 40k universe. So there are some clear parallels and inspirations there. Right. The movie Tremors is another one, right? Featured the kind of mini sandworms called graboids, somehow <laughs> more of a sci-fi word than sci-fi already. And while director Ron Underwood very explicitly was like, we want to make them distinct from David Lynch's version of, of the sandworm, uh, I think he kind of failed because everybody sees the graboids and they're like, oh, like David oh, Lynch's oh, sandworm. Mm. Nice. Yes. Shai Halud. Gotcha. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's also the Wheel of Time series. I've been meaning to watch the Amazon Prime series, actually. Right. Even though I hear it's quite bad. <laughs> but the books themselves apparently have quite a few similarities or inspirations from the Dune universe. Right. I, have you read the Wheel of Time, Abu? I have not. No. I have not either. And I realized as I was writing this bullet point, if you know the Wheel of Time series, you probably already get it. Like, you probably already 
know what we're talking about. But for those on the fence, there's a character named Rand who is a sort of legend messiah, kind of a anticipated messiah, much in the same way that Paul is. Mm. The IS Sedai, who are like mystic trained female-led order, very similar to the Bene Gesserit in some ways. Ah. The Aeol, <laughs> a.k.a. the Fremen, basically desert nomadic people, indigenous people on this planet, I think. Right. And then there are a ton of Arabic references. So to name a couple, Shaitan and Mahdi are both used in mm. both properties, which is kind of cool. It is pointed out and acknowledged pretty much everywhere that this may not be like directly pulled from Dune and it might just be a matter of, you know, two authors pulling research from similar cultures and everything. But again, if you're writing a book after Dune and you're pulling from like Arabic, Islamic text and some of those cultures, yeah. I think it's fair to say Dune is one of the many influences working on your piece. For sure. For sure. And actually, I'll let you take this next one as well, because sure. I've never heard of this. What? And you clearly have. Oh, What man. is this? <laughs> so Robotech was the Wish.com <laughs> version of Gundam. So okay. most people know Gundam <laughs> because it's the more successful brand. Robotech was huge in the 80s, and oh. I experienced it in the early 90s. But it was fun. It was, you know, mech pilots, space politics. There's so much cool stuff in Robotech. Though, to be honest, I've forgotten most of <laughs> most of it because I, I did interact with Robotech a lot when I was a young, younger kid. That being said, what I found in, in researching this question, the universe has protoculture, which is an organic-based multi-purpose substance that can be used as energy, but also as a drug with prescient effects. Hello. Hmm. <laughs> And also a couple of characters in their exposure to protoculture, their eyes turn black, which is very similar to the eyes of Ibad. Mm, mm -hmm. Eyes of the Ibad. Yeah. So, you know, just something that, again, if you are very familiar with Robotech, you might already know this. I didn't. I remember Robotech, but I didn't know that it had connections to Dune. Yeah. So I thought that was cool. Very cool. Yeah. That's going to really resonate with all 12 fans of Robotech <laughs> Yo, what who up? are still alive today. <laughs> 11 other people. We're not that old. <laughs> Another quick shout out, and I added this one to the list, yeah. is a reminder that Grimes, yes, that Grimes, <laughs> is a huge fan of Dune. And she has actually released a concept album inspired by Dune, which is called Giddy Prime. It's on Apple Music. It's on Spotify. You can listen to it. Mm -hmm. Shouts to the track Fade Rotha Dark Heart. Yeah. Which honestly slaps. I recommend everyone check out this album. It's weird. It's not particularly great, but some <laughs> yeah. of the tracks are kind of awesome. Yeah. I listened to it on the train and was like, this is a good experience this one time I'm listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I might not put this on repeat, but there it is. It's cool. It's just not my cup of tea. Might be yours. Right. It's not going to be on anyone's 2022 Rewind. That's for sure. I could could be. I don't know. I don't want to besmirch different musical tastes. It's that's definitely true. That's true. not the beaten path of well-worn music genres. It's interesting. For sure. That's fair. We have a few smaller references. Lightning Style, and this is mostly pulled from the list on Nerdist. Again, fantastic work to Lindsay Romaine. Let's get through them. We've got Miyazaki. Hayao Miyazaki, Nausicaa, Valley of the Wind. Mm. This is a fantastic movie and in multiple times has been tied to Dune because they've got the Omu, kind of the desert living sandworm creatures. I haven't seen that one, but you're a big Miyazaki fan. I am. It's heavy. <laughs> Be prepared. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a whole experience, but it's worth watching. Gotcha. Next up, we have Tim Burton's Beetlejuice, yeah. which contains a desolate sand planet. Complete with sandworms and all. Right. That sounds awfully familiar. <laughs> sounds familiar. We've got Ready Player One. Fantastic book. I loved it. Actually lists Arrakis as a virtual destination in the Oasis video game, which I thought was oh, really cool. Oh, that's very cool. So yeah. that's a neat little tip of the hat from a recent book. Very cool. This next one is a book that I've actually had some people recommend to me. Have you not read it? 
Oh, I've not read Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. Yeah. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Name of the Wind. Oh, man. Fantastic book series. I'll say I read Name of the Wind, one of my favorite books, and I didn't remember this, <laughs> which is insane. <laughs> but there's a scene where a young girl is requesting a story and she says, and here's the quote, quote, I want to hear about the dry lands over the storm wall about the sand snakes that come out of the ground like sharks, and the dry men who hide under the dunes and drink your blood instead of water. End quote. Wow. Which is like, whoa, how did I forget that? (laughs) That's so cool. I love it. I love that. All right, one more quick reference. Yeah. Any reference list would not be complete without The Simpsons. (laughs) True. Simpsons did it. In one of the episodes, Lisa eats some spicy food and she's struggling with it. And Marge asks, Lisa, is that too spicy for you? And Lisa responds, <laughs> I can, can see, see through, through time. time. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it reads as hyperbole, but then you read Dune and you're like, oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. Straight up Dune reference. Awesome question, Case. Thank you so much for writing in. That was a fun little rabbit hole of Dune references in pop culture to go down. Totally. Now, a quick email here. The next message comes from Christopher Blix. And I think that's how you say your name. I apologize, Christopher. Uh, Norwegian, he said in his emails. So that pronunciation wrote to us regarding our absolute lack of knowledge around the cost of molasses. (laughs) And I love this email (laughs) for a couple of reasons. Uh, This is from our Chome episode. Christopher wrote, quote, a non-Googled answer. Oh, my God. Love it. I think molasses is a byproduct after sugar production and used in the olden days as a cheaper alternative to the refined product. Today, it's either still dirt cheap or really expensive because it's so unusual to buy as a normal customer. So maybe chome is like molasses or not. The Gamjabar podcast is like sugar, though, refined and sweet. Keep up the good work, guys. End quote. Damn. I loved that he ended his non-answer with a compliment. Good cover, my guy. (laughs) Really didn't have to sugarcoat that one. (laughs) First of all, I appreciate a non-Googled answer. (laughs) Yeah. Really reminds me of like the 90s when I'd stand around my friends and we'd go, how does this work? And then we would just guess, (laughs) just (laughs) pretend like we had some reason to think it worked like that. But turns out, spot on. Yeah, actually turns out it's really good information. Yeah. Nice. And you, you, this actually sent you down another rabbit hole. Oh, my God. A lot of these emails clearly sent us down rabbit holes, <laughs> which is maybe something we should both talk to our therapists about. <sighs> but I loved where you ended up with your molasses research here. So I don't want to I don't want to take your thunder. I don't want to sure. take your lightning here. Don't steal take my away, sweet, Leo. sweet lightning. Yeah. I had at the time of writing this three tabs open researching different <laughs> elements of the molasses trade. Amazing. The first thing I had to answer for myself is what types of molasses are there? I don't know. So I looked it up. Uh, Yeah. There are a few types that you can buy, ranging from light to blackstrap. And there are others, but they didn't seem to fall as neatly into my very simple understanding of molasses. So I ignored them. I didn't have all night. All right. (laughs) All of them are exactly as Christopher either knew or guessed byproducts of making sugar from specifically sugarcane or sugar beets. There are multiple boiling stages, and basically depending on how many extractions you do, you'll either get a lighter, sweeter molasses, which is going to be very sweet, or with more extractions, you get a much darker, more bitter flavor, but one that's better for cooking, that sort of thing. And that's the black strap is is the sort of end of that spectrum. Hmm, Okay. Although... There's dark molasses is used in ginger snap cookies. If you picture the sort of subtle sweetness, the subtler sweetness of ginger snap, that could be the dark molasses. Pricing wise, pretty much everything was relatively inexpensive. I did find I found places where you could buy a bottle for like four hundred dollars, which I couldn't find an explanation for why. <laughs> it just seemed why? to be what? very expensive for some reason. But I could find every variety of molasses for less than $10 for a whole gallon. So it does seem to be pretty inexpensive. Wow. Mystery solved. Christopher, 
you were my catalyst for a very strange 40-minute researching period. <laughs> I love it. Christopher, thank you for that email. Yeah. Now we know more about molasses than, honestly, <laughs> I personally ever thought I would know. Is this a Dune podcast still? <laughs> Wait. <laughs> <laughs> we're pivoting to cooking. Okay, next up, we have an email from Alfie Richmond Ruff. Yeah. And this one's a doozy. Because this one fact-checked our asses because we got something wrong. Amazing. And we appreciate that and we love that. Yes. Keep doing that, folks. Indeed. We want to make sure we get things right on this podcast. Totally. So if you can think back to part five of our Dune Messiah Book Club, we said that the Benny Gesserit breeding program began approximately 90 generations ago. That part is totally correct right. and factual. Right. <laughs> Where we fucked up is in estimating how many years that is. Right. Based on some quick Googling, we assumed that one generation is 30 years, which is what it is today, now in 2022. And so some napkin math leads you to believe that 90 generations would be around 3,000 years. Right, yeah. Meanwhile, Alfie did some incredible research, and in this email, he presented us with his findings. Right. He points out, that in the appendix of the first book, it states that the OC Bible was widely adopted after its release after 90 generations, so the same time as the breeding program. The very same appendix also states that the OC Bible was compiled shortly after the Butlerian Jihad, right. which we know takes place 10,000 years before the first pages of Dune. Right. So based on what this appendix is telling us, 90 generations actually equals 10,000 years. Right. So that obviously throws our own calculations of 3,000 way off. Right. Uh, but there is more. There's more to this. And again, pulled some fantastic quotes. This is the point. Listeners, dear, dear listeners, this is the point. If you haven't read God Emperor of Dune, <laughs> get prepared to skip forward. That's right. We're going to share a portion that is very much a spoiler. So, you've been warned. Okay, Alfie continues in his email, quote, In God Emperor of Dune, Leto II mentions that Siona is 21 generations removed from the first generation cross he has access to with Duncan. Siona was born in 13,698 AG. Duncan was born in 10,158 AG. There are 3,540 years between those two births. If this is 21 generations, then a generation must be around 170 years. But we must also remember, Leto makes this statement 3,500 years after the original Dune novel, when the lifespan has probably increased. Back to the point, for 90 generations to be 10,000 years, a generation would have to be approximately 111 years. It adds up that this could be the time frame of a generation in the original Dune novel, and then increases to 170 years by God Emperor. I just think that it makes much less sense that a generation would be the 30 years we have now in the original novel, which is unlikely anyway due to the spice, and then 170 years in God Emperor. End quote. Wow. Oof. Oh my gosh. Good call, Alfie. <laughs> My gosh, <laughs> amazing work. Yeah, that makes sense. And you showed up with quotes. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, he brought the receipts, y'all. You know, it's easy enough to say to someone, you're wrong. But Alfie went the extra mile, did some incredible work. You showed your sources. It's a great catch. And thank you for writing in and for all of that investigative work. Yeah. Alfie, let the record stand corrected. There it is. Yes, sir. Thank you so much, Alfie, and amazing work on that. Okay, let's move on to our next message, this one from Discord. Tom asks, If you could bring any one thing or concept from the Dune universe to the modern day, what would it be? Ooh. Ooh. This one sent me down a spiral. <laughs> I sat here and stared at this document just trying to figure out what I wanted to pick. So, Leo, I'll let you go first, because it sure. seems like you have a pretty definitive answer. Yeah, I, you know, started probably the same way you did. I just kind of like mentally listed all of the things in Dune. And 
Most of them are kind of awful for my modern life. <laughs> Most of them don't really apply. I this is probably pretty boring, but at the end of the day, I settled on spice. Mm-hmm. I'd say one lifetime's amount of spice. Now, maybe it's because I have four jobs, but I never feel. I know Abu, you know what this feels like. Yeah. I never feel like I have enough time. Mm-hmm. Some of that life extension would be pretty heckin' swell in the long run. And throw in some, like, glimpses of the future? Oh, man. Yeah, if you thought that I learned my lesson studying Paul's life, I have not. Give me that prescient power. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. Immunity from diseases and poisons? Yeah. Throw that in there, too? Yeah. Listen, there's lots of benefits. And it's only a problem. It's only a problem if you lose it. It's only a problem if you don't have it anymore. Right. So I was thinking... You know, to become spice addicted, it's like five, whatever, five grams, five milligrams a day. I was just thinking, you know, one lifetime's worth in the form of sealed spice beer. Mm. Pour me a pint. Nice. (laughs) I want it. I love it. I love it. You can finally stop looking over your shoulder every time you think you're getting poisoned, you know? By my fucking co-host on this podcast, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right, every time I hand you a water now, you don't have to think twice. I don't have to spit some of it into my bat's mouth to (laughs) see if it's poison. What about you, Abu? What what would you bring from the Dune universe? So ultimately, I landed on personal shields. Hmm, oh. And I got to this point because, to me, the idea of a personal shield seems like the cozy comfort of a weighted blanket combined with the protective might of Kevlar, you know? Yeah. Like, no one is shooting you with a bullet if you got a personal shield. True. Not that I'm, like, necessarily afraid of (laughs) bullets flying near me, but I think just the peace of mind of having a personal shield would be incredible. I likened it here in the notes to an N95 mask, but for your entire body. So, two questions. Yeah. One, would you change up your life such that your routine would involve more things that it would protect against? Or would you continue to sit at home and produce podcasts? (laughs) I like to think... So a part of me wants to give the adventurous answer. I'd be, like, less afraid to, like, jump out of airplanes and shit. Like, I I would take more risks. Or, like, be a medic. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, though, (laughs) no... I'm such a risk-averse person. I'm such a homebody. (laughs) Nothing to me is more comfortable than just being at home, making podcasts, playing video games, reading books. Right. I would just now do that with the extra layer of comfort of knowing I have a personal shield on me as well. Yeah, walking your dog would be extra safe. Follow-up question. (laughs) Concerns about laser pointers and other modern Mm. (laughs) laser-type devices. You know... That's an excellent question. (laughs) But I will say, I can't remember the last time I've actually seen a laser pointer in person. That's fair. I'm like not that concerned about running into laser pointers. I just imagine you at a friend's house and they're like, look at this fun (laughs) trick that my cat does with this laser pointer. You're like, hold up, hold up, let me fucking... (laughs) (laughs) Let me power it down. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, you you bring up excellent points. I hadn't really thought about the... The dangers? Sure. I was only thinking about the benefits, but you're right. If I'm going to start living with a personal shield, I got to avoid any and all (laughs) plasma-based technology (laughs) or like laser-based technology. (laughs) You know, I only bring up those things because, listen, I want you to be safe, buddy. Yeah, I appreciate that. I want you to have your personal shield. I think that's really cool. I think it's a great answer. And, uh, you know, the more you know the better you'll be as a laser shield owner. It's in the user manual, <laughs> page two. That's really a lot of what I'm talking about. Right, right. Well, you know, you, we never read those, right? Yeah, that's true. I've never looked at an Ikea catalog. I know what I'm doing. If your curing couch comes in contact with lasers. Curing. <laughs> <laughs> wow. This Ikea furniture has the same Holtzman rules. Yeah, wow. Okay, so let's take a quick breather here. Right. But don't go anywhere, folks, because there are still a bunch more messages to go through, which we will tackle right after a short break. So stick around. We'll see you in a minute. That was into a bat's (laughs) mouth. (laughs) Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you rehydrated after spitting in all of those <laughs> bat mouths. Next up, we have an email from Kyle Peterson. Kyle wrote to us after our Duke Leto episode and highlighted a Gurney Halleck quote that I thought was really powerful. It's one of the many, many quotes that I just forget about. But here's his message. Quote, The portion about the duality of Duke Leto is something that I have often considered. Duke Leto doesn't use force to control his people. He uses love. There are no heroes in Dune, no good guys. I often think of this quote from Gurney in the first book. I'm the well-trained fruit tree he thought, full of well-trained feelings and abilities and all of them grafted onto me, all bearing for someone else to pick. End quote. Wow. Man. So I replied to the email and he responded. And I, again, wanted to share this follow-up thought. Quote, I often think about how I myself have been molded by the world, its people and systems, into something else. How much has that been for my own benefit and how much of it has been for the benefit of others. Where is the line between persuasion and coercion? Is being manipulated always wrong, even if it's for my own long-term benefit? Power is such a fascinating human obsession, and Dune does such a good job of delving into it. End quote. Wow. Fantastic email. Thank you, Kyle, for sending that in, and the back and forth. I really appreciated it. And Kyle pointed out that he really likes when we have these kind of deeper conversations and these heavier topic conversations. I said it in my response, but, you know, more complex, heady conversations can be intimidating and can feel very vulnerable Yeah, to like share our deeper thoughts and hot takes that <laughs> are so much easier to poke holes in. Right. Right. And, <laughs> and to get angry at and things like that, mm-hmm. you know, sharing my deeper thoughts feels like inviting people to realize that I'm a big dummy. No. <laughs> so, you know, you know, that's the feeling and that's the fear. Not at all. You're one of the smartest people I know, Leo. That's more of a reflection on your friends group. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. No, I'm, I no, thank you. I appreciate it. Taking compliments. That's difficult. The second thing that I wanted to point out here is how that quote really resonates with 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 me and I, I think with you as well, Abu, probably. For sure. Yeah. I love that quote. Yeah. Especially, you know, we've had some conversations recently about the various characters who are feeling so manipulated and what it is like to be in this imperial landscape where you are constantly being moved around like a pawn by these massive players in this galactic board game, you know? Right. A bit of personal, you know, I I think I've mentioned it in the podcast before, but I was raised Tibetan Buddhist and have kind of seen a lot of organized theistic religion as an outsider. I don't necessarily, I, I haven't been part of those systems and those structures. And coincidentally, I also then worked for a number of churches here in New York, separating for a moment entirely institutional religious groups thinking about like the Bene Gesserit, but also, I don't know, the Roman Catholic Church (laughs) from personal faith, individuals having a belief in God and having a relationship with God. Listening to sermons, I couldn't help but think of like the Bene Gesserit or gosh, even Duke Leto, right? That he's winning over the Fremen, but for his own purposes. Mm -hmm. And there were times during sermons at this church that, you know, the priest was encouraging people to examine their personal beliefs, which which was wonderful, which is like I was 100% on board for. Other times, though, and if anybody listening has gone to church or is a churchgoer, you might have noticed these moments. You know, parishioners were told what not to do, what not to think, and what not to question. And those moments felt so colored by uh, control 
and by those systems of control that aim to keep power localized within an organization, right? Yeah. I couldn't help but think of the Kizarate. And I don't mean to step on anybody's toes. Again, I fully 100% support individual faith. I, I just, especially from my upbringing, have always been suspicious of big organizations that claim to have all of the answers. And suddenly I realized that I've been standing on a soapbox this whole time, so I'll <laughs> wrap up. But all of that to say, Kyle, uh, I really appreciate the email. Thank you again. And yeah, thank you for uh, supporting us even when we <laughs> have these heavier conversations. For sure. Those conversations are always fun and enlightening and we go down rabbit holes we never expected. But I think they are some of the most important conversations we have on this podcast. Right. Agree. And you're absolutely correct. Some of the most vulnerable moments for us as well as hosts and Dune fans. So we appreciate all of you listening and enjoying. <laughs> so much easier to just quote a book <laughs> right, than to like right. share my thoughts on a thing. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. That's why the next book club will just be an audiobook rendition of <laughs> you and me reading it. <laughs> children. Yeah. Children of Dune. No thoughts. Only vibes. Yeah. Only vibes. <laughs> Okay, let's move on to our next question. Right. This is another message from Discord from Takako. Takako wrote and asked, what if any quote slash principle slash thought slash et cetera from Dune have you applied to your real life? For example, at each significant move in my life, I have quoted to myself Hawat's response to Paul about leaving Kaladin. Parting with friends is a sadness. A place is only a place. Ah, uh, wow. such a good question. Wow. Another question that sent me into a tailspin. Oh, yeah. I loved it. Fantastic question. Leo, what's the quote or idea or principle or thought from Dune that you have found yourself applying to real life? I mean, I was really tempted to write the quote from that we just talked about <laughs> from <laughs> Gurney about yeah. people shaping you to fit. But thinking more about it, one of the ones that really has stuck with me for years now is from one of the forewords to the chapters. And this is in the hunter seeker chapter from the first book. Here's the quote, quote, we can say that Muad'Dib learned rapidly because his first training was in how to learn. And the first lesson of all was the basic trust that he could learn. It is shocking to find how many people do not believe they can learn and how many more believe learning to be difficult, end quote. God damn it, Frank. I know. It's just the amount that this little quote has served me is just so immeasurable in appreciating the lessons that I've learned, but also to reiterate, you can learn. The ability to learn is the first lesson. And once that's out of the way, everything else can kind of fall into place. Fantastic. And I honestly, I think it's much more helpful for society than the the sort of fear is the mind killer hype that that quote gets because yeah. I see it on goddamn everything. <laughs> <laughs> and it's cool. It's really cool. But there's so many other good quotes. Yeah. Anyway. Truly. I think more people should remember that that you can learn is is a very important first step. Yeah. And what a great principle to keep in mind if you're an educator of any kind, right? Yes. Whether you're uh. teaching kids or you're like a school principal or an administrator, the education system should be built on this idea that we should be encouraging people to be excited to learn and to believe in their own ability to learn. Right. I love it. I love this quote so much. I'm glad you picked it. Yeah. What about you? What's your kind of go-to? Uh, so... So this question was tough for me because I went through a number of different quotes and then erased them and then wrote another and erased it, wrote another, erased it. And I had a tough time landing on one. And I think there are a million different correct answers for this. Right. But ultimately, the one I'm going to go with for now, and this might change in the next hour and the next day, <laughs> the one I'm going to go with for now is the bit of advice that Gurney Halleck gives to Paul early on in the first Dune book. He tells Paul, quote, what has mood to do with it? Mm. You fight when the necessity arises, no matter the mood. Mood's a thing for cattle or making love or playing the balisette. It's not for fighting. End quote. First of all, I love that that canonically proves that Gurney Halleck fucks. <laughs> it's an important, yeah, important. <laughs> an important bit of that quote. But beyond Gurney's 
fucking canonicity. <laughs> I think I speak for both of us, Leo, when I say that we're workaholics. Yeah. You mentioned it earlier in the podcast with the four jobs. I mean, you and I are deeply and problematically attached to our work. <laughs> True. Uh-huh. And I think both of us share Gurney's mentality when it comes to approaching work. Sometimes it just has to get done no matter the mood. Right. There are plenty of days where, like, I don't want to research dude shit. I don't want to write a 12-page script. I don't want to sit down and record for two, three hours. Right. But it doesn't matter. The episodes have to get done every week. So there are some weeks where I just put my head down, power through, no matter the mood. Right. Obviously, there is a way to take this mentality too far. As with everything, moderation is key. I sometimes fall into the trap of having this unhealthy relationship with my work and my self-worth. Sure. I find myself often crossing that line, something that I am working on. But I do find Gurney's quote motivational and inspiring in some ways as well. Because you won't always be in the mood to do the right thing or the hard thing. But that doesn't mean that those things don't need to be done. Right. Part of being an adult, part of being a member of society, part of being a good person is choosing to do things you don't want to because they have to get done. Right. Yeah. And back in the day when I used to go to the gym, I haven't looked at a weight in like five fucking years, but <laughs> when I did used to go to the gym regularly, I will say that Gurney's quote here, what has mood to do with it, you fight when the need arises, has definitely gotten me to the gym on plenty of gloomy, <laughs> rainy, tired days when yeah. I thought about skipping. Right. Because at the end of the day, what has mood to do with it, y'all? You pump iron when the necessity arises. <laughs> yeah. Comjabar workout apparel coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> you lift when the necessity arises. You get swole regardless of the mood. <laughs> I mean, between Gurney's quote and My Hero Academia's Plus Ultra, <laughs> yeah. there is no excuse for me not to have a six pack. That's entirely my fault. You know, like those two things should have motivated me to get swole. But here I am. <laughs> You're right. Man, I saw your answer and I was like, oh, I don't know if I buy that as like Abu's favorite quote. But then hearing you just now and also reading your answer, I, I'm sold. I think that's a fantastic thing. Yeah. And I think that's part of growing up. And you make a, you make a strong point, friend. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks once again to Takako for this incredible question. I would love for our listeners to answer Takako's question and write to us as well. What's everyone else's favorite quote or principle or thought from Dune that they've applied to real life? Right. I'd love to hear everyone's stories on that. I can't wait to get 40 emails that all say, you know, fear's <laughs> the mind killer really helped me out in a dark time. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Well, next up, we have another correction. And this time at the prompt of Rachel and Aaron, although Rachel signed the email. So I think it's just Rachel. But hey, Aaron, hi. <laughs> Rachel <laughs> wrote to us about a mistake we made regarding Othame's family unit. Now, as a reminder, Othame is one of Paul's fidekin. Lykna is Othame's Samuta-addicted daughter, who Saitail kills and impersonates. And Dury is present when Paul meets with Othame before the stone burner scene. With that context clear, Rachel wrote the following. Quote, I love the cold opens. <laughs> They're delightful. Hey. I have been reading along. It's my first time reading Messiah. Your podcast is the best. It's added so much depth and enjoyment to my reading experience. It's also so well produced. And the artwork for the podcast is gorgeous. You hear that, Dad? Good job. Yes. Good job, Pops. In Book Club 5, you referred to Dury as Lykna's sister and Othame's daughter. My impression is that she's Othame's wife. Lykna's, quote, other mother, and sister to Lykna's mother. Paul is reminded that Othame married sisters. Am I wrong? End quote. Rachel! Rachel, you're 100% right, Rachel. Yes, oh my gosh. Good lord, I remember, first of all, I remember, you know, Abu, you and I were wondering if anybody even likes the cold opens of the book clubs. <laughs> It is nice to now be getting people saying, yes, we do. It's fantastic. Yeah, good to know. Back to your message. Yeah, we got confused. We got confused because when Paul recognizes Dury, he remembers that Othame married both Dury and Dury's sister, which is to say, in other words, Dury is Lykna's aunt, but also kind of her stepmom. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah. Uh-huh. In that book club, we said they were sisters with so much confidence. <laughs> so that's an amazing catch. Let the record stand again corrected. Yeah. Thank you so much, Rachel and Aaron. Hi, Aaron. <laughs> Thank you. Hope you're doing well, Aaron. Hope you're doing well, Aaron. Hope to hear from you as well. <laughs> I'll also note that's the same book club that the other correction was from, too. Man, we fucked that book How club How much up. Samuta were we on during book club five? Usually, like, I just snored a little bit of Samuta, but that must have been a rough week. <laughs> that timeless is saying ecstasy is not yeah. great for fact-checking. It's true. <laughs> Damn. Book Club 5, a rough one for us. But as always, we appreciate the corrections. Indeed. It's very important to us that we get things right. And if we do have a misstep, please call us out on it and we will correct the record. Listen, most big podcasts have like researchers whose whole job <laughs> is making sure everything's right. And then yeah. beyond mic people do the thing. And then there's people who edit the stuff. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just us. So thank it's you. It's just us and a baggie of Samuta, man. There's only so much we can get done. <laughs> and all these fucking bats. <laughs> <laughs> so many bats. My apartment smells terrible. <laughs> I'm parched. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's get rid of these bats and end on one final email to wrap up today. Right. Jim from Japan. <laughs> Love it. Wrote to us. Yeah. Dear fellow DeVry Institute alumni, thank you for your wonderful podcast about space cocaine. <laughs> it has become my comfort show to pop into my ears as my head hits the pillow. I admire your passion, appreciate your hard work, and enjoy the natural chemistry and humor you both bring to each episode. My understanding is that you are not the biggest fans of the David Lynch film. Mm. I, however, am. So I am hoping this next topic might interest you. Is there anything at all that you might prefer in the Lynch version? Jim goes on in that email listing a number of things that he loved about the 84 film. He writes about the music, the dialogue, the ingenuity of the special effects, which were frankly quite ahead of their time for a movie in the 80s. So he listed a couple of things that he loved about the film, mm. which is amazing. I loved this. Thank you, Jim, for the great question and for sharing your own thoughts on it. Yeah. We have a lot of folks in our inbox asking us about the 1984 film, and we promise we will f get around to doing an episode about it eventually. Right. We're currently working through the Sci-Fi Channel miniseries over on the Patreon, so patrons are listening through that at the moment. So maybe once we're done with that, we'll jump in the time machine and travel back to 1984. So right. stay tuned. There's just so much Dune out there <laughs> and so little time. Right. Now, obviously... Jim's question is, is somewhat leading because there's a clear thing that was best of any Dune adaptation that we'll ever get, uh, which is, of course, sting in that thong, baby. Sting! Sting! <laughs> Man! But, okay, that's a given. Sure. Let's share. Also, he's like 16. <laughs> I'm 16. <laughs> okay. You are... 35 at the time Are of filming you? this movie. <laughs> right. You have the bone structure of a 35-year-old. <laughs> you could be 50. Just, uh, okay. Those Harkonnens, they're built different. Let's share our other thoughts, aside from clearly Sting, who should return in the new part two as still Faye Rautha. We'll see. Yeah, 100%. I'll start off. I'll say, just to be clear, I know we are often critical on Lynch's adaptation, I genuinely like the film as a work of art, as a watching experience. I really enjoy it. Uh, I really only draw issue with it as an adaptation of Dune because it makes some very major changes and it adds some things that really kind of go against the grain of what Dune is for me. That's really my issue with it. Generally, <laughs> I really enjoy the, the product. That being said, there isn't really a lot that I explicitly like more than Villeneuve's part one mm. or even the sci-fi series, right? Very few like individual things come up as like, oh yeah, that's definitely better. The two that seemed pretty easy to toss in here that I very much tip my hat to Lynch, Pugs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love Pugs as an addition to everything. There should be Pugs in every film. Mm -hmm. More dogs. More dogs. More dogs. 
And I don't see in Dune that they couldn't be a thing. Yeah. 100% I buy that in 30,000 years we'll still have dogs. 100%. Good addition, David Lynch. Good job. Followed maybe by thinking about Kyle MacLachlan's performance. He had quite a few opportunities to really act and kind of make bold choices, you know? I think about that Paul as such an expressive, interesting character, whether or not it's accurate to the book and whether or not he's like 28 and should be 15. I think Timothy Chalamet did just an amazing job as Paul in part one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially in the still tent scene. But I do feel that a lot of the direction in Denis Villeneuve's part one was more subtle and more understated, right? Yeah. Yeah. I do like a character who's a little bit more accessible, and I think that's where part two is going to really come in for me to see if we get, you know, Jameis's funeral scene, if we get some of those moments where Paul is really scared and sad, and we'll we'll see what happens. But anyway, I'm generally a fan of, of Lynch's product. I just yearn for a bit more accuracy to uh, Frank's writings. What about you, Abu? This was an interesting question for me because... I'm less of a fan, notably, of the 84 film. Sure. But there's also no denying how truly influential that movie has been on the Dune fandom since its release. For the last few decades, for 20, 30, 40 years now, so much of the iconography and stylistic choices that David Lynch and the team made in that movie have almost become synonymous with Dune. Right. And I'm actually quite curious if Danny's versions will catch on in quite the same way. Right. Because Lynch's vision has become so iconic. Some of the examples that immediately come to mind for me are the design of the sandworm. That basically didn't change until last year with the Danny Villeneuve movie. Right. Because even the sci-fi channel's worm didn't quite really catch on. The iconic Gamjabar design, the thimble-based needle right. that was actually part of our own podcast art back <laughs> right. in the day before we updated it to the Danny Villeneuve design. Uh-huh. That has stuck with the Dune franchise for such a long time. There's also the way the movie portrayed Baron Harkonnen as more of this cackling madman versus the quiet, looming menace that we got in Danny's version. Right. That Baron Harkonnen was also very similar to the way he was portrayed in the sci-fi channel series so that inspiration continued for decades there's also of course the highliner design which has become so iconic like almost every fan art you see follows the 84 version and of course my least favorite thing in that movie the guild navigator buttholes have somehow become (laughs) iconic (laughs) (laughs) just the way those guild navigators were portrayed just was so instantly recognizable (laughs) and the book is very vague in the way it it describes what guild navigators look like we'll see what denny does in part two and in future movies but the 84 film undeniably became the de facto look for the navigators and so honestly all of that is to say i have to applaud the movie for being so bold with the decisions it made yeah for better or worse and it is quite incredible how so many of these things have become the way that Dune is visualized. Right. Even decades after that movie came out. And so I think ultimately, I do like that about the movie. It chose to be bold rather than boring. And I think that is a brave decision to make and not an easy one. And I have to commend the movie for doing that. Yeah. So that is one thing that I liked from the 84 film. And it's one thing that I hope future adaptations continue. Dune should be bold. Dune should be exciting. And I hope Denny and anyone else who takes on Dune projects remembers that. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, great art doesn't make every single person happy. Yeah, yeah. When you're trying to please everyone, it's just going to be boring and bland and unoffensive. Not that you should aim to be offensive, but ultimately, if you make really bold choices, there are going to be people who respond strongly yeah, to the thing you make. For sure. And people might hate it, and that's okay. We have too many fucking shows to watch these days. There are too many <laughs> movies, too many things. If more people were bold, I could watch the first episode of anything and be like, I love, I love this, or this is the worst, 
and I could move on with my life versus all of these like, oh, it's pretty good once you get to season four and you really start to yeah. see it. It's like, fuck off with your right. boring choices. Jesus. Come on, One Piece. I can't watch 600 <laughs> episodes. Oh, Lord. Yeah, that's a hundred percent. I just started watching Ranking of Kings. A lot of really bold Ooh, choices. That's on my list. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. so good. I'll also say, Abu, you reminded me, the Gamjabar design, we started our podcast with the thimble-based thing because that was yep. what was in the Lynch movie and that was what was in the trading card game in the 90s. And like, that was it. That was the thing. And people came for us. We had a few people be like, hey, it's not a thimble. It's just a needle. And the more I thought about it, because of those conversations, the more I realized it makes so much fucking sense to have it as a thimble. <laughs> right. You have it mounted to one of the most dexterous points on the human body. Can you imagine having the Gamjabar in your pocket and it's a two-sided oh needle? I was just going to say. Yeah. If it's on your if it's on your finger, you're not going to lose it. You're going to lose a little needle in your purse, my guy. Searching for a needle in the haystack when it's for covered real? by a metacyanide poison is the dumbest <laughs> fucking thing I've heard of. <laughs> Where does Moheim have it? In a little container? Does she have to have yeah. like a leather carrying case for her little gun? Right. A thimble makes so much sense. It does. It truly does. So anyway, just wanted to quickly add that onto my list. I think the thimble-mounted Gamjabar is quite sweet. Looks great in Volnov's adaptation. Uh, again, we made it part of our art. Eh, I, I like the thimble. Thimble's cool. I, I did too. I missed the thimble artwork. Maybe we'll go back for a little bit, you know? A throwback Thursday. Yeah. A throwback, yeah. All right, Leo. Yeah. So that's it for Mailbag today. Yep. But that is by no means all of the emails that we've received recently. True. That is barely a fraction of the messages we get. We love to get your emails. And in fact, we get so many of them now at this point that <laughs> it has become <laughs> really hard to answer all of them in a timely manner. We do our best to respond to every single message we get. Right. But that isn't to discourage anyone from writing to us. We will get around to responding eventually. Sometime right. within the next calendar year <laughs> is the Gamjabar guarantee. Yeah. And what we would like to do is continue to try more of these mailbag style episodes in the future and perhaps do them more regularly just so we can give some of these more long form questions or deeper discussions the time they deserve. Right. Plus, we'd love to share your corrections and observations and amazing jokes that you're all writing in your emails as well so we want to do your emails justice by doing more of these episodes so please continue to write to us and just bear with us if we can't respond to you right away we will get around to it eventually and listen if you wrote us a message on discord or if you sent us an email and your question wasn't in today's episode know that we will have future episodes and our intention is to respond to everything as Abu pointed out, our guarantee is within a year. <laughs> Although I think the worst it's been has been like a month and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a long time. Don't get me wrong. Sorry. I'm sorry right. it was so long. But oh my gosh. We also do typically read the emails pretty much immediately. Right. And hey, before we sign off, one last little tease we want to sure. leave you all with. Ooh. We <laughs> have some. <laughs> Open your mouths, everybody. We're doing it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let's do it. Live show. Holy shit. Post-COVID world. <laughs> wow. That's not where I intended for the sign-off to go, but let's try and get things back on track here. We have some exciting news to share yeah. in the coming weeks. Yeah. We have some updates around the Children of Dune book club, mm -hmm. which will be starting soon-ish. Mm-hmm. And we're working on some merch, and we got some Patreon updates. There are a couple of things we want to get everyone caught up to speed on. Right. We don't want to say too much right now until we've 100% locked in our plans, but we just wanted to give you a little tease here and let you know if you're wondering about that next book club, don't worry. It's coming, so stay tuned, y'all. An announcement with some cool updates is coming very, very soon. Indeed. <laughs> All right, open your mouth, everybody. Let's go. <laughs> Look at the person on your left. Open their mouth. Let's do it. We got to make this as efficient as possible. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> oh, the F train stops running at nine. We need to all be out of here by then. So when you say you attended a super spreader event, uh, describe to me <laughs> how the right. spread was facilitated. The poor CDC person has to write down, they all spat in each they other's fucking mouths. What? Okay. Let me turn. <laughs> they claim it was a podcast show, but it sounds like an orgy. Yeah. They did use the word orgy quite a few times. Uh, and they were snorting cinnamon. It's very, yeah. very strange. They all they all kept calling it a siege orgy. I don't know what that means. What is a siege? Is that the sound you make when you spit, maybe? Or That is what we should call our first live show, though. Like our first actual live live show in person is a siege orgy. <laughs> siege orgy. So like people your, can your say. Your ticket just says siege orgy 5 p.m. Lincoln or just Center. S orgy. S dot orgy. <laughs> 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 to create some very problematic receipts. <laughs> oh my god. BYOS y'all though. Bring your own spice. We don't have the money to supply that. Bring your own spit. Bring your own <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Bring your own Samuda. So many S's. So many, so many wow, that works, yeah. BYOS. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic, so help spread the word of Mwadib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lord Party Podcast Network on lordparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, he who controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the Golden Path. What I was seeing is there's a character, Rand, a.k.a. Paul, who's kind of a legend messiah. There's the Aes Sedai. Rand Paul? No. <laughs> the senator? No. <laughs> Two different characters. Okay, gotcha. With just an uncomfortable combination of names. <laughs> Fuck Rand Paul. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, yeah, so or maybe I should say that differently so people don't think of Rand fucking Paul. Uh, <laughs>